If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, uh, y'all can probably relate to this, but it seems like when we're going to do something really difficult, probably most of the battle is mental, right? I mean, think about it. You're going to do something really difficult, like your wife tells you that she's going to go out of town for a few days and leave the kids with you, and you're thinking, man, that's going to be hard. You got it. It's, it's all mental. It's when you're going to go uh, for a run, or if you're somebody like me who probably needs to run a lot more than I do, because I don't run at all. <laughs> Half of the battle is mental. When I ran in the, in the Kelby Pilcher 5K, like I was, I was hyping myself up before uh, the 5K, you know, like I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then I got there and I'm like, they said, you go. And I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> it's all mental. You gotta, when you get your mind set in the right place, uh, that's really when you can jump in and really start doing difficult things. You've got to get mentally prepared. In the case of exercising, you, you think about the future. You think like, man, if I do this, it may be hard now, but in the end, it's going to be worth it. And in our passage this morning, that's where Peter is coming from there. He, he tells us to get our mind on in the right place. He tells us to set our hope on the grace uh, that we will see when Christ returns. And then, when we get our minds on that place, and we set our minds on the future that we have with Christ, that changes everything about how we live here and now. And that's, that's what we see in this passage it's not just for Christians thousands of years ago, but it's actually for us here today. If we are Christians, listen, if we are Christians, we know what lies ahead. We know about the grace that we're going to see one day when Christ returns. We're eagerly awaiting His return. And because of that, it makes a huge difference here and now with how we live our lives. It makes a huge difference. So let's, let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. This is what God says through Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable Things such as silver or gold, but, listen, with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Father, as we approach the book, Lord, I pray that first and foremost, that we would see ourselves as under its authority. 
Lord, you tell us that, that, that your word gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, you, you, you tell us that your word equips us. It takes Christians and, and, and tells us exactly what you expect from us. Because, Father, we live in a culture that it's so hard to see how we should live because there's so much pressure on us. There's so many things, Lord, that, that are being normalized that we just think these are okay. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that we would see it as the standard by which we live our lives. And Lord, as we look at your word, I pray that we would see the cross first and foremost. Lord, your, your word builds and builds to that point where we see your son, God in the flesh, dying on a cross. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, help us to see that salvation is free for us. But it was very costly for him. And Lord, let us stand in awe. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we, as we dive into this passage, Peter has uh, three commands for us. And the first one that he gives us is do not be conformed to our old pattern of life. The second is live our lives, in, or sorry, let me back up. I skipped the first point. First of all, he tells us to set your hope fully on the future that we have in Christ. Then he tells us to not be conformed to our old pattern of life. And finally, he tells us to live our life in reverence and awe. In reverence and awe. Look at what he says first. Notice that as he talks about how we should live our lives... He starts in verse 13 by telling us to get our mind set where it needs to be set. Remember, half of the battle is mental. When it comes to, to living the Christian life, this is what he says. He says, set your hope fully on what? On the grace that is to be revealed to us when Christ returns, to, when Christ appears. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say that? When you think about it, our salvation is very future-oriented. I mean, we have a lot of benefits here and now to our salvation. We have joy, we have peace, we have all of these things. But if you really think about it, salvation is really future-oriented. We've never seen Christ. We've never seen Him. We've never seen the miraculous signs. We're going on faith that He is who He says that He is, and He's going to do for us what He says He's going to do. Okay, so at the very end, if we find out that Jesus was not the Messiah, then it was all for nothing. But if we, our faith is in Him, and at the end, we, we know that, that when He returns, we're going to see that everything we trusted in was true. And listen, it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. Basically, we're hoping in this future reality and one day our faith is going to become reality. So he's saying, set your hope there. Set your hope on that. Notice what he says uh, earlier in, in the chapter 1 here of 1 Peter. He talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at verse 4. I love it. To an inheritance, future-focused, 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's talking about salvation as if it's something that is going to happen in the future. And in a way, it is. We're saved now, yes, but when He returns, that's when it all is going to be made complete. That's when our faith is finally going to be made sight. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him. That's us. It was true of the believers that Peter was writing to back then who never laid eyes on Jesus, even though they lived in that same time period. But how much more is it true of us thousands of years later? Though you have not seen Him. You love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, one day our faith will become reality. One day Christ will return, and we're going to see when He returns that it was all worth it. When He returns, we're not going to say, Lord, I've given up all of these things. We're going to say, Lord, it's all worth it. I see You. So, as we get our minds there, if we're in Christ and we're setting our hope on that, and that's what we're looking to, notice He says that we need to get our minds ready to work. So listen, He's not telling us just daydream about the way things are going to be. That's what a lot of people in Christianity think. They think that we're just daydreamers. You know, we're just people looking forward to you know, heaven. We're looking forward to eternity. And we're just going to sit right here while we wait for it. He doesn't say dream. He says, now that you've got your mind there, here comes the hard work. Look at what he says at the very beginning of verse 13. He says, preparing your minds for action. That, that literally means girding up the, the loins of your mind. And what would happen back then is, you know, they, they wore long tunics, they wore long cloaks, and, and what they would do when they would get ready to do hard work is they would pull it up, because you can't work in a dress, right? It'd be really hard if you're trying to run uh, and you got all that hanging down. Uh, so they pull it up and they tuck it in their belt. So literally, they're, they're girding up the loins, getting ready to work, and so, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, get your minds ready for action. Don't just set your hope on what's coming, but actually use that as a springboard to get your minds ready to work. Notice the second thing that he says. He says, uh, preparing your minds for action, and then right after where he says uh, that, he says, being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. That means a mind that is clearly set on the hope. We've all seen it, haven't we? We've seen the, uh, where emotions come in and cloud things. We, and we've seen in, in church services like this, maybe revivals or maybe some meeting, that somebody comes and they make a decision for Christ, and it's really all clouded by emotions. They're really not clearly making their, they're not making a decision. They're not, they're not in their right minds. They're just all hyped up on emotions. They walk down an aisle and then... Uh, two weeks later, they're exactly right back where they were before. And they never walk with Him. They never come to church. They never do any of that. They just, they're, it's like it never even happened. We've seen that. He's telling us as we set our minds on this hope, as we get our minds ready to work, we've got to do it soberly. We have to do it clearly. 
we should set our minds on that hope. So are we doing that? Are you doing that? Are you setting your mind, like as you live your life, are you like looking forward to when Christ returns? Are all your eggs in that basket? He says, hope fully. Or maybe, here's a better question. Does that hope drive you to live a different life now? Not just are you hoping in that, but is that hope causing you to live differently now? He tells us that we're we're to set our hope on the future we have with Christ. And then, he tells us to not be conformed to our old pattern of life. Not be conformed. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, as obedient children. That's what we are, right? If we're in Christ, we're, we're supposed to be obedient children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conformed to your passions. That word conformed, of course, means to uh, pressure something into a pattern or into a, a mold. And it gives the idea that culture around us, the world around us, is pressing us. It's constantly putting pressure on us to conform us. That's the exact same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is what he says. He says, Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And look at what he says in verse 2. It sounds almost identical to what Peter's saying. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Look, Peter is very clear, and Paul is too, that the world around us is pressuring us. It's pressuring us, and what is it trying to mold us into? what he says don't be conformed Peter says to the former passions of your ignorance look when it comes to us being converted and 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 accepting Christ we're transformed in other words when we come to Christ he transforms us radically we are different from then on now we're not perfect we're works in progress but he does transform us and listen He's saying this, he's saying, don't be conformed back into what you used to be. When he saves us, when he transforms us, we are different. And he's saying, don't go back to what you used to be. And notice what he calls those desires. Notice what he calls those passions. He calls them ignorance. Listen, we used to walk in that ignorance. If you're in Christ, you used to walk in that ignorance. You used to to walk in your passions, your desires. You were a slave to them. And we live in a culture, we live in a world that is pressuring us to go back to that. So he's saying, hey, don't go back. Don't be conformed. And look, I know that in our world today, we just see, well, don't be conformed. And we're just like, okay, well, I won't be. It's all around us, guys. Things are being normalized that are against what God says. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, the big things like gay marriage and things like that. I'm talking about the things in our lives. 
He tells us that, that we are to not be conformed. A lot of us, uh, it may be just as simple as what we click on when we're on the internet. That's what conforming looks like. Maybe how we talk to other people. It may be uh, what we tell other people. Maybe pictures that we send to other people. Look, there's so many things around us that are trying to conform us back to our former ignorance. So look at what he says. He says, but instead of being conformed, be holy as God is holy. Look at the next verse, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That word holy, when it's written about humans like it is here, it, it describes a person who's set apart for God, for a deity. And specifically, it's talking about the purity of the one who is set apart. In other words, he's calling us to live pure lives. To live pure lives. And notice what he says, in all your conduct. Listen, a lot of times we try to think of the bare minimum that we've got to do as Christians. We try to think of like the bare minimum. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, if I can do this, I'm not sinning. You know, I'm just going to do as much as I possibly can before you finally got to call it a sin. He's saying, no, be holy, be pure in all of your conduct, in all of your life. In other words, there's not just a part of us that we say, God, I'm going to be holy with this part of my life, but I'm going to do whatever I want in the dark when nobody's looking. He's saying, be pure in all walks of life. That is what we're called to. And so that means that in everything... What we click on, what we do when nobody's looking, what we think that we can get away with, we're to be pure in all of it. We're to be holy, he says. And notice what he says be holy. Why? God says, Because I'm holy. Be holy, for I am holy, he says. Listen, when we think about God's holiness, we're compelled to have that same purity. Why? Listen, because we're his kids. We're his kids. The other day, I was in Walmart with uh, just me and Elijah, and we were just running in real quick and then running right back out and trying to make it. It was pretty late at night, and we were hurrying through the checkout line and you know putting the groceries on the, the, the belt there. And a couple of ladies came up behind us. And as I'm there, you know, putting everything on there, trying to hurry, uh, they look at Elijah, you know, and they're waving at him. And then they look at me. And they kind of look back at him. They look back at me and they say, huh, we know who your daddy is. And if you've seen Elijah, of course, like, he looks just like me. Why? Because in a way he is part of me. At least half. He's my son. He's going to look like me. And the really scary thing is he's probably going to act like me too. He's going to act like me, right? We know our kids act like us. Why? Because they're our children. They get their DNA from us. They get what makes us us from us. And look at what he's saying. Because God is holy... If we're a Christian, if you're in Christ, that means that you are His child. Okay, now you're saying, well, I didn't get His DNA. 
We're told in Scripture that when we embrace Christ, when we cling to Him, that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So listen, if you're in Christ, God is dwelling in you. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, we're not going to be able to help but to live pure lives. Now, once again, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to struggle. But at the same time, when you look at our lives overall, you're going to see that there is a trajectory of our lives towards more and more Christ-likeness. We are His kids if we're in Christ. And so, therefore, we're called to be holy like our Heavenly Father. So if you examined your life today, what would you see? Would you see over the years you've become more and more and more like Christ? Or are you allowing yourself to be conformed back into what you were before Christ? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you right now need to repent. Some of you right now need to repent because you're not walking the way that He tells you to walk. You're not concerned about holiness. You're not concerned about purity. You're just concerned about whatever you want to be concerned about. You're walking your own way. And listen, God is calling to you to come back. God's not saying... I'm going to smite you. God's saying, no, would you come back to me? I'm gracious. That's what repentance is. It's us throwing ourselves back on His mercy and saying, Lord, forgive me and help me to turn. Some of you today need that to turn. You need to beg for His forgiveness and you need to beg for His help. And in just a moment, when we sing a song of response, that's the time for us just to throw ourselves on His mercy. Some of you may just need to come and throw yourselves on your face and just say, Lord, forgive me and help me. He tells us that we are to be holy as He is holy. Some of you today, you may just be pretending to be a Christian. And I say pretending because you, you may have walked an aisle, you may have made a profession of faith, you may have even been baptized in a church. But when you look back at your life, there's been no change whatsoever. You're completely molded into uh, to look exactly like the world and you've never done anything else. If that's you, I would encourage you this morning to stop the act, to stop pretending, to stop acting like, man, I'm a Christian and for the first time, embrace Christ. For the first time, come to Him and cling to Him for forgiveness and for help. He tells us that we're not to be conformed to our old pattern of life, but instead we're to pursue holiness the last thing he tells us here is that we're to live our life in reverence and awe. In reverence and awe. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear, verse 17 there towards the end, with fear throughout your exile. That word for, for fear is where we get the word phobia. And it, it means fear a lot of times, but it also means like reverence. All. He's telling us that Christians live lives not flippantly, but reverently. We live our lives in constant awe as we go through life. And notice he says, throughout your exile. He's talking about 
He's talking about this uh, life as if we're in exile, like we're people in a foreign land. And we are. As we're living in this foreign land, remember, our allegiance lies to the king of our land, of our kingdom, where we're going. And as such, we're to live in reverence. We're to live in awe. Why? Well, he gives us two reasons. The first one is found there at the start of verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. That word if uh, is probably could be better translated assuming In other words, he's assuming that if you're a Christian, you do believe that God is going to be the judge. Right? I've seen seen people before who they're like, only God can judge me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And you should actually probably be living differently then because he will one day. We think that we believe as Christians that God is going to judge the world according to their deeds. That He's not going to be partial. He's not going to show favoritism. That He's going to be an objective judge. And He is going to judge people by what they have done. Not by what they say. Not by what their intent was. Not by what they say is in their heart. But by what they've actually done. Okay, and we know that by default, we all are going to be found guilty when He does that. But for Christians... What we have come to know is that Christ bore the penalty for us. So that when the judge, when he comes and and sees our life, instead of finding us guilty, even though we are guilty, he's going to look at the price that Jesus paid as a substitute in our place, and he's going to declare us not guilty. Because the debt has already been paid. But nevertheless, we know that we're going to give an account, even if we're in Christ. We may not face God's wrath, but we will be held accountable for the way we live our lives. And so, we should live our lives with reverence. We should live our lives with fear. In other words, because we know that one day we're going to give an account to God, that should change how we live our lives now. That should change our attitude as we walk through our lives. The job that I had before this, I worked for... Uh, a, a company, and I was in sales, and so it was my job to travel all across the country uh, to go to trade shows, to visit clients, shake hands, you know, that, that kind of thing, and, and try to close as many deals as I can. And so, you know, with that, I had to travel a lot for the company at the company's expense. At first, it was great. I thought this was the best thing ever. Like, you mean to tell me that I can go to this place on the West Coast and I, you're telling me that I can like go get steak when I want it? This is great. What a gig, right? That's the best gig you can have right there. But then I found out something. When I got back, y'all aren't going to believe this, I had to fill out an expense report, and I had to list item by item what I spent my money on, or I should say the company's money on, before they would reimburse me. You know what I found out? I found out that the vice president of my company looks through every single line of our expense reports. So listen, what what kept me from going and getting a $100 stake? I knew that my vice president was going to look at that, and I did not want to be called into his office to give an account of why I'm wasting the company's money on a $100 stake. Listen, how much more should we be 
different, how much more should we live reverently knowing that one day we're not just going to have everything reviewed by a vice president. We're going to have everything reviewed by God Almighty. And listen, if you're not a Christian, we urge you to become a Christian. We, we urge you to come and receive forgiveness. But listen, if you are a Christian, I urge you today, live your life differently knowing that that's what's going to happen. He tells us that we should live in reverence and awe because we know that we're going to be held accountable. And the second thing that he tells us is uh, we should live reverently in awe because we know that we've been set free by the costly death of Christ. Not just because we know we're going to give an account, but we know what it cost. Look at what he says next. He says in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers. That word ransomed means that we were set free. We were in bondage to our nature that we inherited from our fathers. We were in bondage to it. And Christ came and He set us free by dying in our place. And look at what He says. We know that we've been set free. We know we've been ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ. Without spot. Without blemish, without spot. Listen, salvation is free for us. But it cost Him everything. It cost Him everything. This wasn't plan B that Christ go to the cross. This is plan A. God had been planning this we see in the, next, the last couple of verses there from the beginning. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. You know, in our country today, there's, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of strife. You know what really probably gets all of our gears going and which really burns us up? When we see someone out there burning a flag. I don't know, does that, does that irritate y'all? Does that make you angry? It makes me very angry. It makes me angry when people you know, disrespect our country. Why? Because there are men and women who have bled and died for that flag. There are men and women who bled and died for our country, who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And so when we see people disrespecting our country, we just want to tell them, look, the cost was way too high for you to disrespect our country like that. Because of the, the, the lives that our servicemen and women gave, because of their blood, we should respect our country, right? Well, listen, come in here real close and listen. How much more... Should we then live for Jesus if He gave even more? How much more should that change everything about our attitudes? How much more should that cause us to live in awe? How much more should that cause us to want purity? To want to walk after Him? He gave everything for us. He was God in the flesh. And listen, He suffered hell for us. 
There's a song I listen to that says, Forever will I tell that for three hours Christ suffered more than any sinner ever would in hell. He was bearing, as we sung earlier, the awesome weight of sin for every single person. He wasn't just dying a death, he was dying a death with the penalty of billions and billions of people laid on his back. And he suffered the infinite wrath of God instead of me. So how can I look at the cross and say, Lord, I'll follow You when it's convenient for me. How can I look at the cross, all that He gave, all that He sacrificed, as costly as it was, and say, Lord, I don't care. How can I look at the cross and say, Lord, I'm going to live my way and I'm not going to pursue Your way. How can I look at the cross and say, Lord, so what if I give in? So what if I conform? So what if I look like the world? He gave everything for us. We should say, just like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen to this, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In light of the, what Christ has done, listen, we are not our own anymore. We've been bought by a very costly price. And so listen church, we can't go live in our own way and say that we're in Christ. We can't go look exactly like the world, smell exactly like the world, talk exactly like the world and say, but I'm in Christ. doesn't work that way. We were bought at such a high price. So therefore, we should live our lives in reverence. We should live our lives in awe. Down to the smallest decision. What we click on, what we watch, what we, everything that we do, how we talk. It all comes under His Lordship. It all comes under His authority. He tells us that we're to set our hope on the future that we have with Christ. Get our mindset right. And one day, listen, our faith will become reality. He tells us that we're not to be conformed to our old pattern of life. Don't go back. Finally, He tells us to live our lives in reverence and awe of what Christ has done for us. If we're truly Christians, listen, if we're truly Christians, we know the future. We know the future. And that should change everything about how we live now. That should change everything. Listen, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not sure, I don't want you to, if you're a guest with us today, I don't want you to go away thinking like, man, the preacher just said we ought to act right, because that's not the full story. We can only do this with His help. We don't come in and say, man, look at me, I've cleaned myself up. We come and say, no, He has cleaned me up. And so what we hold out to you today is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What we say to you today is you need to come and embrace, cling to Christ. Because He lived the life you should have lived, perfect, holy. He died the death that you deserve to die. And we hold Him out to you today. As we move to a time of response where we get ready to sing uh, together, like I said, some of you need to respond this morning by repenting.
by falling on your face, asking for God's forgiveness and begging for His help. We can only do this with His help. Others of you need to be encouraged today. You, need to, you feel like you're out there doing this on your own. You feel like it's too hard. And listen, it is. And so today, you just need to come and realize your dependence on Him. We need His help. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to live our lives so as to say the, the old hymn, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. Father, that's our prayer today. Lord, You've given everything for us that we could be set free. So Lord, we, we owe everything to You. This life that we live, Lord, is Yours. We are so indebted to You, Lord. So Lord, let our prayer, our cry be today that in light of everything that you've given for us that yes we will follow you that we'll pursue you even when it's costly even when it's hard even when everyone else looks on us and ridicules us. Even when we think we're the only one. Lord, we'll follow You. And only with Your help, Lord, can we say that we'll never turn back. Help us, Lord, to say no turning back. No turning back.